Hello, Captains, and welcome back to Rank Amateur. Today at Rank Amateur, we are featuring the Tier 5 Tech Tree Japanese Destroyer, the Minkazi. Yes, the Minkazi, going down a few tiers from uh, the last Fortnite, but, um, you know, I really I really found this ship to be quite interesting when I played it on my way to the Akazuki. Um, it, it is uh, feared at Tier 5, for sure, but... We're here today to find out, is that fear really justified? But that'll come in a little bit uh, later on. So first, let's start with World of Warships news. And, uh, well, update uh, 0.11.5 is now live. Um, it's starting just to get spooled up uh, right now. We're seeing the results of the common, uh, camouflage contest for the Commonwealth Destroyer Huron, which, by the way, is looking to be a very, very strong destroyer. Um... Yeah, we had an amazing Huron player on the enemy team the other day. Me and uh, that mean my friend faced. And he he knew his ship very well. He was very hard to track down. He would start firing, and then as soon as you got your guns rotated around to shoot at him, he'd stop firing, and then he'd pop up somewhere like 15 kilometers away from different angles, start firing you. He must have killed like five ships on our team. It was just insane what he was doing. So I don't know if that's necessarily. Um, the, the Huron being good or that player being good, but the Huron looks like it may uh, may come to be just a new Haida, as it is the Haida's replacement. Um, so the camouflage contest looks like the winner is the one that looks like an Orca, uh, which I think is quite cool. Um, I don't know who came up with that, uh, but, you know or how you would come up with that. Most people in the uh, entries have, like, you know, symbols of Canada on there, just typical destroyer camouflages. Uh, there's one creative one that I kind of liked, and it was a um, it was essentially a model of a light ship. Like, it said Huron, the Huron light ship. Uh, it said Huron on the side, and everything was black. It looked cool. Um, but the one that won was, I believe, the most creative one, and that was the uh, Orca. I thought that one was going to win, because it's just so out there. Um... So, U.S. Independence Day uh, events are coming soon. Um, we're seeing the return of Destroyer Black. There's now a new camouflage design contest, which I'm really, really kind of liking these design contests because you get to see the creativity of the community that maybe maybe the designers, um, not that the designers don't have, but maybe just wouldn't see it from that perspective. So, you, this one, you are uh, doing a uh, steam-themed camouflage uh, you pick any one of the tier, Tech Tree Tier 7 battleships, and you can get their, uh, that portrait downloaded, and you can design it any way you wish. You can, you can even just print it and draw on it and scan it back in and send it to World of Warships if you wanted. So they're really opening up, uh, avenues of participation for players. So I, I really like that. It's, uh, they're, they're furthering their community engagement. It's good to see. Um, also, I discovered a weird bug yesterday. I believe it's a bug, um that I am in the process of contacting Wargaming support for. So I logged in the other day, and I went to go to my artillery view, and it, nothing happened. 
like nothing. I pressed my shift key, nothing happened. So I had to hold down the shift key, then release it, and then it would go into my artillery view. And then it got stuck in my artillery view. I couldn't, I couldn't, uh, come out. So I ended up dying because I ate a bunch of face full of torpedoes because I couldn't, I couldn't see where they were coming from. I tried the best to use that little torpedo like circular indicator thing to, to dodge them, but I was in Hugo, so I was a pretty big target and I was unable to avoid them. And I thought it was my keyboard and I was really getting frustrated because my keyboard um, is, you know, a nice gaming keyboard and it's less than a year old. So I was like, I swear to God, if this doesn't work, I'm actually going to call Steel Series on this, call them out on it. Um, but it wasn't my keyboard. I played some other games that worked perfectly fine. The shift key, I was typing with it, no response issues or anything. Keyboard worked perfectly fine. Uh, and I bounced, so I went and restarted World of Warships and everything, restarted my computer. Um, but then I went and bound the artillery view to another key, and it worked just fine. So clearly it's a bug with, um, uh, or at least it, I've tried a bunch of different things, hasn't worked, so I think it's a bug. Um, and I looked on the forums, and it seems like literally the same day, there's ton, there's a probably maybe a dozen posts of people with steel series keyboards that um have the same issue so it's it's got to be something with steel series drivers or something like that that just doesn't play nice with the world of warships anyways uh there's the ruckus in the armory uh, it's kind of a scam that i i mean it's not a scam i guess it's just it's a really expensive event you have to get a bunch of these tokens that you appear as that you can only buy them and then you can get random bundles which random bundles that can be good but some that aren't good so you have to be careful what you're buying so i guess a scam's the wrong word but it's a, a high risk high reward event we'll say brawl uh 1v1 tier 9 yeah, so I think this is literally just going to be Pomerns. I don't think we're going to see anything else besides Pomerns and Prince Heinrichs. Um, Stars and Stripes Bounty event. Uh, so you can sink a Stripe Bounty ship or a Star Bounty ship, and you can uh, get different rewards for sinking them. There's no cool flags, not like the, uh, not like the pirate event or anything like that. Uh, and you can, if you submit a cool screenshot with the most kills, highest damage, or the best screenshot, so maybe just the funniest, maybe something happened, uh, which the World of Warships team will vote on, you'll win a uh, freedom camouflage for the Baltimore. It's basically the one you get for the Cleveland for committing the, completing the American Cruisers collection, except it's on the Baltimore. New public tests um, and rewards and stuff. The Return of Destroyer Black. There's a new developer bulletin. It basically just means that they're going to put in uh, the uh, British battleships. And we'll, we'll go over British battleships when when the uh, when the update comes. Because it's, it's bound to change even between now and when the update comes. So that would make everything that I put on obsolete. So we're... We'll we'll go over that when it um when it comes to World of Warships. I know a lot of you already know some of the things. Uh, rumors are homing torpedoes. Actually, not rumors. They have homing torpedoes, but it's not the same that are on the submarines. They're a little bit more balanced, of course, because it's not a submarine. Um, so yeah, we're uh, in turn to Destroyer Black. It's like a early access event, except or, yeah, I mean it's kind of like an early access event, kind of like the Missouri event where you complete a bunch of missions, do all these things with Pacific tokens, and then you have the honor of purchasing U Destroyer USS Black for a mere seventy-seven dollars and twenty cents USD. Yeah, so it's 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 a bit expensive, but. Destroyer Black is very, very good, so 
maybe justified because we don't need a bunch of destroyer blacks running around because that would be not super great for world of warships but enough with that in world of warships news let's get into the history behind japanese destroyer minkazi so um minkazi was the lead ship of her class of minkazi class destroyers obviously um and they were kind of an interesting class. They were obsolete by the beginning of World War II, so they did spend most of their time uh, as patrol ships and escorts, and they their design was centered around, uh, I believe, their turbines. Yes, their, their geared steam turbines, uh, which were still fairly new for when they were built. They were built, uh, I believe, in 1918. Yes, around 1918. Um, so still new technology. Uh, there was They were... When they were built, they were some of the fastest ships in the world, um, and they had their design was centered around torpedoes, which is ironic because most of them were torpedoed, some by friendly fire, I believe. Um, and I find their naming convention very interesting. The Japanese, uh, as I've said before in previous episode, have have um, very interesting naming conventions for their ships. It's not like the U.S. Navy where their cruisers are named after cities, their st- uh, battleships are named after states, and their destroyers are named after admirals and their carriers are named after battles. They It varies quite significantly. Uh, the Akazuki class, a lot of them are named after moons, uh, like Autumn Moon and things like that. That's what Akazuki means. Um, the Minkazis were named after winds. And so Minkazi means mountain wind. Uh, Sawakazi means wind from the sh- uh, swamp. Swamp? Swamp, excuse me. Um, and then you have things like Okakazi, offshore winds. Shimakazi was actually one of the ships, which is wind on the island. Natakazi, wind on the open sea. Uh, some particularly interesting ones is Yakazi, which is wind on an arrow's flight. Um, and then Takikazi, which um, is also a very interesting one, and it means wind caused by the stroke of a sword. Um yeah, very, very creative naming conventions. Uh, and like I said, these ships were obsolete by World War II, so we see a lot of them, as soon as the U.S. Navy gets its game together, uh, tend to be sunk fairly quickly, a lot of them before even 1944, or at least around 1944. Only two of the class managed to survive the war, and or three of the class, excuse me. This was a class of... 15 ships so yeah not a very good survival rate here but that that kind of applies to most of the japanese navy they were um just a few ships by the end of the war uh, compared to the elite fighting force they had been before they decided to bomb a few ships at pearl harbor um okay so let's go into the the specifics of the Minkazi. So she was ordered in the 1917 fiscal year. She was laid down on April 20th, 1918, launched on February 8th, 1919, com- uh, fully completed on the 29th of May, 1920. Um, and she weighed in at 1,366 tons normal and 1,676 uh, tons for a deep load. She had a length of 319 feet, 11 inches, uh, and overall, that was at the waterline, and overall she had a length of 336 feet, 3 inches. Uh, she had a beam of 29 feet, 8 inches. Uh, we'll go into those um, meter measurements right now. So for the length uh, at the waterline, that's 97.5 meters. 
102.5 meters overall, 9.4 meters wide, and she had a draft of a mere 9 feet 6 inches, or 2.9 meters, which is crazy. That means she could hide in very shallow waters and bays, and, uh, use very small, uh, not dredged or undredged ports. Uh, she had installed power of just 38,500 uh, shaft horsepower. This was provided by four Campon Water 2 boilers. They powered two shafts with two Campon geared steam turbines. She could make a speed of an impressive 39 knots. She had a range of uh, not great 3,600 nautical miles at 14 knots. This is 6,700 kilometers. Uh, she had a complement of just 148, which is pretty small for a destroyer. Um, and uh, she could carry uh, four single uh, 4.7 inch or 12 centimeter, 120 millimeter uh, Type 3 guns. She carried three twin uh, 533 millimeter or 21 inch torpedo tubes and 20 mines. And I believe they carried one or two reloads of torpedoes. Uh, yeah, not the hundreds that, not the infinite amount that are in World of Warships, but she did, she did have quite a potent torpedo loadout for her day. And believe it or not, the design of the Minkazi class of destroyers was so successful that the la next three classes of destroyer, or next two or next three classes of destroyer, forget which one, um, were were essentially just copies of the Minkazi with some minor improvements that came with the years, but they were effectively just Minkazis, and they were difficult for the casual observer to distinguish, especially when uh, they were just built, or when they were newly built. So um, Minkazi did not really see such, uh, I guess, an extravagant career. Um, she was built at the Marzuru Naval Arsenal as, a, as, of course, the lead ship of her class. Um, and upon commissioning, Minkazi was teamed up with sister ships Shawakazi, Okakazi, and Yakazi at the Seispo Naval District to form Destroyer Division 2 under the 2nd Fleet. And from 1930 to 1932, Destroyer Division 2 was assigned to the 1st Air Fleet as part of the escort of the aircraft carrier Akagi to assist in search and rescue operations for downed aircraft, which, as aircraft carriers were fairly new at the time, it tended to happen a lot, and it still happens today. We usually have a ship on station, and at least several aircraft on station to uh, assist in search and rescue operations for carrier uh, airmen who happen to, you know, miss a landing or something like that and end up over the side of the ship, as that one F-35 on the USS Carl Vinson found out and the other F-35 on the HMS Queen Elizabeth found out. <laughs> uh, both had to be recovered from the bottom of the ocean so that adversary forces couldn't um, get that technology. But that is a tangent. We'll go back to the Minkazi. At the time of the first Shanghai incident of 1932, Minkazi was engaged in river patrol duties on the Yangtze River in China. And from 1937 to 1938, during the Second Sino-Japanese War, she was assigned to patrol parts of northern and central China, uh, specifically the, close to the coastlines, in support of Japanese efforts. Um, yes, yeah, so the reason, one of the reasons why uh, the draft on this ship is so small is so that they could patrol rivers. And this was extremely useful for the Japanese because that was where most of the uh, Chinese Navy was. It allowed them to get closer for short bombardment tasks and just uh, to provide bases of command and things like that for uh, shore divisions. Something like, uh, I don't know, maybe a gearing class destroyer or uh, some, some of the larger American destroyers could not actually fit up that, those rivers. Um, and some even some of the larger Japanese destroyers 
uh, would not have been, if placed in the same situation, would not have been able to um, uh, uh, carry out that task. So it was a specific emphasis uh, to the design bureaus uh, when these ships were built that they should be able to operate in inland seas and rivers. Uh, obviously not to specifically invade China as the time that these were built. I don't really think that was too much of a of a thing for the Japanese, although they may have had that goal hanging above their head. Uh, they just wanted these ships to be extremely versatile, and that they were. At the time of the attack on Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941, Minkazi was based on the Chinkai Guard District in Korea and assigned to patrols of the Tushima Straits and the Chishima Island coastlines. And from April 1942, Minkazi was reassigned to the Seispo Naval District once again for patrol and convoy duties. On the 9th of May, she assisted in the rescue of passengers from the Taiyo Maru, uh, which had been sunk by an American submarine. And uh, this was uh, an ocean liner, actually. That was a German uh, ocean liner that was turned over to the Japanese as part of their German war reparations. Uh, and this was en route to Southeast Asia with many civil en civilian engineers and technicians on board. Although they were civilians, they were assisting in the war effort, so it was a fair target. At the end of September, the destroyer escorted convoys to Saipan, Truk, and Rab Rabul, and from the end of November 1942 to the beginning of February 1944, was assigned to patrol and escort duties in the East China Sea. And this was to assist in what many people forget was an extensive Japanese supply chain and widespread empire that had really become too big too quickly for the Japanese to control. So they tended to struggle to supply their own divisions because of the fact that their empire was just too big for what they had. And this is what the U.S. submarines exploited, is the fact that most of their, um, most of their uh, destroyers and things like that were involved in battle fleets, and very few of them were involved in convoy escort duties. And if uh, the ones that were involved in convoy escort duties tended to be outdated ones from... Uh, the First World War area, such as the Benghazi, and this allowed uh, American submarines to penetrate, uh, to basically just slip behind Japanese lines and just wreak havoc on their convoys. Uh, some people forget that the German submarines were actually not the best submarines of World War II. The British, Dutch, and, uh, and uh, American submarines were very potent. Um, in fact, in the early days of Abdicon, the Dutch submarines were known for sinking a Japanese ship every day. Uh, actually, usually several Japanese ships every day. They were very potent until, essentially, they ran out of materials uh, and supplies, but they, for uh, when they were active, they were very potent. And the American submarines were just like better Dutch submarines. They, they most most warships that we see are in World War II are generally sunk by submarines or aircraft, as far as in the Japanese warships in the Pacific theater. And it was especially true for their destroyers that they were usually sunk by American submarines. And for the Minkazi, this was no exception. In fact, on February 4th, 1944, Minkazi was steaming as part of a convoy uh, going from Moji to Tenko. Uh, the convoy was spotted by the submarine USS Pagi off the coast of off the east coast of Taiwan, and Minkazi was promptly torpedoed and sunk after uh, being after the submarine tailed them for a few days. Uh, she was sunk on the 10th of February, 1944. And on March 31st, 1944, she was removed from the Navy list. So that kind of concludes our uh, naval history section of this episode. So let's get into the World Warships uh, aspects of Minkazi. 
Alright, so we're going to go over the World of Warships uh, specifications of Minkazi. We're going to assume that it is fully upgraded as far as equipment's concerned. So if you've researched with XP all the upgrades and stuff, or all the modules, I should say. And uh, we're going to assume no upgrades, so no things, no upgrades you purchase. Um, and then we'll go through what upgrades you should put on. So, main battery is pretty atrocious you got those 420 millimeter guns i believe most of them are 360 turrets though they have an 8.92 kilometer range a 10 second reload uh 30 second turret traverse which would make a lot of battleships blush um or at least some battleships blush they have a 2.0 sigma 82 uh, meter dispersion which is pretty good i notice these shells are always very precise when you fire them and that is horizontal dispersion vertical dispersion is at 50 meters which is effectively nothing um, so you have an 120mm HE Type 1 shell with a raw DPM of just 40,800, which is atrocious. Maximum damage of 1,700, which is actually very good. When these guns fire, they do hurt a lot. Initial shell velocity of 825 meters a second. Shell weight of 20 kilograms. Depth explosion of just 2 meters. Uh, HE penetration of a okay 20 millimeters. Burn probability of a pretty good 7%, although for the 10 second reload, I really do wish it was a bit higher. Uh, it means a burn probability per salvo of 25.2% uh, and 1.5 fires per minute. Your, your AP shells aren't much better. They have a 48,000 uh, damage raw DPM. Maximum damage is 2,000. Uh, all other characteristics of the shell are the same. You have a short fuse timer of just 0.01 seconds. Uh, and you'll overmatch 8mm of armor with an arming threshold of 20mm. Your torpedoes are where this thing shines. They have a 7km range, do 10,000 damage. They have a 42 second reload time. Yes, the Vermont can only reload its guns 2 seconds faster than the Minkazi can reload its torpedoes. They have a torpedo speed of uh, a decent, if not bit slow. Uh, especially for tier 5, 57 knots, so it's comparable to the American torpedoes, they're just a few knots faster. You can detect them from 1.2 kilometers away, which gives you a 7.8 second reaction time. They have a, a excellent, or I should say, not excellent firing arcs. Uh, actually, there's only a small point on the side of the ship where you can fire all three torpedoes at the same target without moving the ship. Uh, the, the firing angles are, as typical of Japanese ships, atrocious. There, you have to move the ship, but most of the time you won't be detected. AA defense, literally just a few Browning machine guns. Uh, yeah, negligible. Survivability, you have 10,900 hit points, which is nothing. Uh, fires are typical of destroyers. They'll do 981 damage. Floods will do 1,000 damage. So you're going to want a damage con, a flood especially. You're going to want a damage con, a fire, especially if you have two of them. Um, your concealment, 6.1 kilometers, or 6.01 kilometers base. Uh, after firing your main guns in smoke, you'll be seen by, from 2.22 kilometers away, and when on fire, you'll be seen 8 kilometers away. You'll be detected in the air from 2.5 kilometers away. You have a, a maximum speed of an excellent 39 knots, a turning circle radius of a very tight 550 meters, and a rudder shift time of a very quick 2.1 seconds. You have standard destroyer damage control. You have a Japanese smoke a generator with 70 seconds. Uh, smoke screen dispersion time, you have an action time of 20 seconds and a reload time of 160 seconds. Standard destroyer engine boost, 8% speed boost, 120 second action time, 120 second reload time. So what are we going to want to do with this thing? Well, you're going to want main armaments mod 1 for the upgrades. You're going to want uh, engine room protection uh, for the upgrade slot 2, and then you're going to want, uh, well, 
it goes either way. Some people put Amy Systems Mod 1 on. I really don't recommend that. I recommend you increase your torpedo speed, uh, or you put Torpedo 2's Mod 1 on, which is going to increase your torpedo speed, uh, make them more durable, and reduce the, the traverse time of them. Then for, um, for Captain's skills, you can go a lot of places with this. I like preventative maintenance. Some people like Liquidator. I like priority target because when I'm spotted, I want to know how many people are shooting at me. Although you could put swift fish on. Actually, a lot of people put swift fish on because they just assume that um, when they're spotted, they're being targeted. Because realistically, that's probably the case. So um, you could put that on. However, although both those skills are really good, I do recommend you put uh, last stand on. Then I recommend you put adrenaline rush on. And then I recommend you put a concealment expert on. That's for a 10-point captain. I assume you're probably going to have a 10-point captain if you're just at tier 5. Uh, you could put survivability expert on. I uh, put fill the tubes. And, uh, yeah. And you could put swift and silence on because you will be undetected most of the time. That's my build for this ship. Uh, if I had a 20-point Japanese commander. Although I did just get Isoroku Yamamoto. And I put him on my Kitakaze. So, or Yamamoto Isoroku. Excuse me. Yeah, I always put his name backwards. Uh, but... He's cool. I like the tracers and the um, uh, and the flag. I haven't activated any of his abilities yet because I've had him for like three battles. But um, yeah, still cool, cool commander. All right, so Juliet Charlie for the for the flags. That is Juliet Charlie, Juliet Whiskey. So that's going to do no detonations and increased flooding chance on torpedoes. Uh, then you're going to want to go speed flag, uh, consumable reload flag, and that's pretty much it. This ship is really not heavy on the flags. You could put the smokescreen flag and the ramming flag on if you wanted. And uh, this will get you a 37.8 um, second torpedo reload time. It'll get you a 5.41 kilometer concealment range, so you have a 1.5 kilometer uh, uh, torpedo stealth window. And these torpedoes will be insane. They'll just, they're insane. I mean, you have a 44 knot top speed now if you if you uh, put swift and silence on and the speed flag. Now, if you don't put swift and silence on, that's going to get you just a 41 knot top speed. Only, only a 41 knot top speed on a ship that's going to be mostly undetected. Um, yeah, so how do you play this ship? Well, it's pretty basic, actually. The most consistent results I got tended to be from going to the flank, although depending on how the battle unfolded, if there was, uh, if the middle was unguarded by a CV or if there was no gunboat destroyers going middle, middle tends to be kind of potent because you can get the torps off on both sides and in between islands and stuff. Although I, I would recommend going on the flank if there's a lot of islands on the map because uh, you tend to hit islands with your torpedoes accidentally now that the underwater... Uh, or that the water is modeled, uh, the seafloor, I should say, um, so that sometimes your torpedoes may hit the seafloor even if they look like they're going to pass an island. So I do recommend going on the flank if there's a lot of islands, if there's a CV, or if there's gunboats going center. Um, you will probably not use their guns, although if you see an opportunity, I do recommend putting up a smoke screen and using your guns, because these things have a great fire chance, or not great, um, they have a decent fire chance, they hit really hard, and 
I mean, if you're going to be undetected anyways, may as well use them. And if you're you're spotted, you're being chased by gunboats, and he's shooting at you. Yes, you want to get your torpedoes off, but be sure to use your guns. Okay, you're not going to you're not going to open water gunboat here, but I do recommend that you use your guns every once in a while. Just remember you have them. Remember to use them when the situation calls for it, uh, and keep spamming torpedoes. Like as soon as they're reloaded, they should be out of the tubes. Like there's no time. As, as long as there's a target physically in range, or at least coming towards you that's maybe even a little out of range, those torpedoes should be going down range. There's, there's no reason in this ship to hold torpedoes, um, simply because they reload so fast. Uh, yeah, so typically, especially if you're up-tiered, you're going to go to a flank. Uh, you usually outspot everything, except if there's... No, you're actually not... Unless you're in a fail division and you meet like a Cossack or something like that. Um... Even a Cossack, I don't think, outspots this thing. Yeah, anyways, this it's just insane what you can do on a flank. You just flood a flank with torpedoes, and even if you're losing the flank, just slowly move around and fire torpedoes at ships that are pushing. It will You will grind their push to a halt. And if you're pushing, it becomes a little more difficult to be impactful in the battle, simply because uh, your the enemy ships are going to be fleeing. You're going to have to get significantly closer to catch up to them, unless they're really slow battleships. Um, so yeah, I recommend going to the holding flank, uh, flanks that need support, or there's not many people there, because then that tends to be where you do the most damage. Uh, definitely, usually you're going to be out on the flank. Remember, always stay undetected. Uh, know where your radars are and how close you are to them, if they can stealth radar you. Uh, it's not really an issue at tier 7 so much as it is at tier 8 with the, uh, Fubuki, or I mean, the t in, in tier 8 battles with the tier 6 Fubuki. But um, you will run into radars with, from the likes of Atlanta and Indianapolis, although both of those ships are pretty uncommon, so you typically don't run into them. Um, be careful of Haida's Hydro. Be careful of German Hydro. Don't sit in your smokescreen in front of a German battleship. You know, all those basic things, and you're fine. This ship is has a very low skill floor, but it does have quite a high skill ceiling, because you, you can get some good use out of these guns if you know how to use it, and that's what more of the veteran players will know. Anyways... I think that's pretty much it for this episode. A bit of a shorter episode, uh, running on 30 minutes now, but it's, this ship doesn't really require a whole lot to play it. You just don't be stupid. <laughs> don't be stupid and you'll be fine in this ship. Just stay out of detection range, watch your radars, and spam torpedoes. That's pretty much what it is. And don't just spam torpedoes from maximum range either. Get as close as you can to get the torpedoes off because then you're more likely to hit them. And do be sure, do be sure that you, uh, or do be sure that you, you know, take caps and things like that. Like, don't just sit on, you know, the nine line or whatever, or way back on the J lines and things like that, and and just spam torpedoes from outside torpedo range. I've seen people doing that in Minkazis. It doesn't work well, obviously. I know most of you listening to this are probably gonna be like, yeah, well, I would never do that in any ship, and that may be, but. Just remember, remind your friends. Just don't be stupid, and you'll be fine in this ship. It's a really easy ship to play. I did, I did pretty decently in it. Uh, and if I can do pretty decently in a torpedo boat, it means it's a good torpedo boat because I suck with torpedoes. All right. Anyways, that is going to be it for this episode. I hope you all enjoyed it, and uh, remember to email me at rankamateurpodcast at gmail.com with any questions, comments, concerns, or ship suggestions. And until next time, captains.